Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Oh, what an era of journalism we find ourselves in, huh? Some journalisming on the show tonight. Not by us, we are merely commentators, but I will bring you some, or at least some things masquerading. As journalism, it is Thursday, June 29th, the year of our Lord, 2023. We are jam-packed, high atop a fluctuating downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Storm in one minute, sunny the next minute. It's going to be like 101 tomorrow, and we, yes, we, have to win four games to win the softball championship. Prayers would be appreciated greatly. Georgia versus who this year? Who's their toughest competition? If you said the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, as is usually the case these days, you are right. Some tell me there was a smoking gun in the AJC when it comes to Georgia athletics. Uh, I've yet to find it, but we will discuss it. In fact, we're going to lead the show with it. Got a lot of requests to talk about this, so I'll talk about it. What ifs? Those are back tonight. Bold predictions. Those are back tonight. Opinions of Jim Harbaugh on the show tonight. Always a fun-filled topic when we can fit Jim Harbaugh on the show. Also, we're going to talk some Texas. Uh, Nebraska's on fire right now. Not the way Canada is with the wildfires. I just mean on the recruiting trail. I say the Canadian wildfires because that smoke made it all the way down here yesterday. I thought that was just an East Coast problem, but it became a Middle Tennessee problem. So yeah, Nebraska figuratively on fire in recruiting. How good can they really be? For those of you who are historians of this sport, you know once upon a time there was a, a period where Nebraska was a mainstay on the national stage. And then those of you who are 25 years old have never known that world. Could we ever go back? Is Matt Rule the right guy to do it? They're watching us in Hampstead, North Carolina, Provo, Utah, Lake Seminole, Georgia, Newark, Ohio. Thank you all, Paper Stack, for tuning in. I got to tell you, I probably should read more of it to you because we get prison mail here. We get regular fan mail by the truckload. We get several wedding invitations per month. Jesse, Colin, what would you say we average? Like probably three or four wedding invitations per month. But I got I to gotta be honest with all of you. This Sunday, I will reveal to you the greatest single piece of mail or package, etc., that I have ever gotten at this address in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. And it is, it is a physical thing. It's not a letter. It is going to be featured on the set. And I got I to gotta call it one of the best days of my life. Maybe the best day of my life. Anyone who's watched this show for a long time, you know I don't ask for much. In fact, I wear the same t-shirt every show. I am a minimalist by the very nature of the word, but there's one thing I have longed 
to add to this set. And frankly, I didn't think it was available. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but we got ourselves one. And he's coming. He's coming Sunday night. Immunity, start the show. Let's, um, let's dive into something serious, okay? So let's turn our smiles upside down for a second. Let's get the serious faces on. I had the DMs full asking me what I thought about this Atlanta Journal-Constitution piece on Georgia football. And first I had to ask which one. And then I found out, oh, there's a new one. Okay. So it's a funny thing that happens. I'll tell you this to start off with. When you work in our business, a funny thing happens. You see a lot. Obviously, we go on the road a lot, talk to a lot of staffers, talk to a lot of coaches off the record. You know a lot of the players. So you see a lot of the, a lot of the sides of the sport that are better kept out of public eye. That doesn't necessarily mean hiding things that are illegal. It just means, you know, if you're middle linebacker and you're starting corner, get into a little scuffle in the tunnel and there are no cameras around, it doesn't exactly behoove the head coach to head to the press conference and say, you guys will never guess what just happened in the tunnel. Now, in reality, anyone who's been around sports or competition knows those sorts of things happen. Well, then there are other more serious things that happen a lot of times behind the scenes at various college football programs. And sometimes we're aware of them and sometimes you know about them and sometimes you don't. And therefore, there's always this this public interest in what isn't seen. I do that on this show to our benefit. You've never seen Jesse and Colin. That's called theater of the imagination. And it works because you really wonder, what do they look like? Well, in college athletics, it's kind of the same way. You wonder, my rival school landed that recruit. I wonder what they, I bet they did something underhanded to get him. That coach over there, boy, he's, his kids look like model citizens. I bet behind the scenes, there's some really nasty stuff that goes on in that program. And if you're not careful, you'll get someone with what Meemaw would call a burr in their saddle who covers your program, who preys on that sort of thing. But what happens in our line of work sometimes, and I am privy to it, is I find out how many people talk about things they really know nothing about. You experience this if you're in insurance sales, if you're a bus driver, because this happens in every walk of life, believe it or not. It also happens in college athletics. It happens in fandom. It happens in coaching. It happens in media. It happens in talking. Sometimes people accuse me of such things. How does this relate to Georgia football, though? Well, I'll tell you, but first let me, let me illustrate something, and then I'll dive into this AJC report. So Twitter has a new feature that ironically reveals a whole lot about this Georgia-AJC deal. Almost like the biggest rivalry in the SEC now. Twitter has this new feature. It's a very interesting direction that Elon and company are taking the platform. You've always been able to post video there. But now when you post video on Twitter, I do it all the time, there are some pretty surface-based analytic results that you can get from it. And you know what one thing they have given me that's been like a tool above all tools has been? And that is the audience retention metric. I post a video on Twitter, two minutes long, let's say. And I can see which percentage of viewers finish the entire video. And it's always below 10%. Yet, there are comments by the hundreds, which leads me to reasonably deduce people are talking about this even though they didn't watch the whole video. I appreciate the engagement. Now let's talk about the AJC in Georgia. So there are a lot of serious things, some terrible things that have happened in the Georgia football program since they won the national championship up there. You know my feelings on that, uh, so I'm not here to make any light of that. But I had a lot of you hit me up and ask me what I thought about this latest piece from the AJC this week. 
And I'm going to tell you what I have no problem with. First off, I got no problem. And I have immense respect for investigative journalism when it's done the right way. Investigative journalism, when done the right way, number one, you can't see through it. And number two, you can't argue with it. You can be mad at it. You can hate what it says, but you can't argue with it because investigative journalism, when done right, just presents facts. And then it kind of lets you decide what you think about it. That's the beauty of investigative journalism. I wouldn't necessarily characterize what's happened between the AJC and Georgia lately as strict investigative journalism. There has been investigative journalism that's happened, but it's kind of had this, this weird cloak of editorialized nature around it. It's kind of it's like half investigating, half opinion. Very interesting. So for those of you who aren't aware of what's happening down there, you know, Kirby Smart's been on a roll. Georgia's been on a roll. Um, there was a headline this week. I'm going to read you the headline in a second. But you already know some of the negative headlines there. Georgia's had some trouble. Georgia's had some issues. And the thing about it is, when you slip up in one area, it makes you perceptionally vulnerable in every area. What I mean by that is, they got, they got a street racing problem there. That's no mystery. Uh, they've, they've had it. There have been several headlines about it. I have not done a single segment on this show about it because I have nothing to add. It just is what it is. There's really not much commentary I can give you. Also, it's not a street racing show. Here's, here's two downsides. One, terrible stuff can happen. Like we saw in January, the most tragic consequences imaginable can happen. And that's the most real world stuff. Anything else pales in comparison to that. You lose lives, really everything else is kind of distantly secondary, but secondary nonetheless. Here's the other thing that happens moving forward. Because you have been very, very shaky in one area, you sort of lose benefit of the doubt in other areas. And everyone knows that you've lost benefit of the doubt. And that's why when you open your laptop and you see this headline, Georgia football program rallies when players are accused of abusing women, you know what the public's mindset is immediately going to shift to. You put it behind a paywall, and even more so, you know what it's going to shift to. Because ain't many of them actually clicking on it paying you to read it. And I can assure you, if you ever have a smoking gun, it ain't going to be behind an AJC paywall when it comes to Georgia football. That's the first thing I thought. Then the second thing I thought, because I actually went and read it, was, where is it? I've watched this happen before. So I go detail by detail, especially when you deal with stuff like sexual assault allegations. Uh, this is not rumors of a depth chart turnover. That stuff, whatever. That's football. That really doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. But when you're talking about sexual assault, you know, when you follow it up and you click on that article and the first paragraph I see reads, in a single weekend, a 16-year-old University of Georgia football recruit broke curfew, drank with potential teammates in an Athens bar, and ended up in a police station under investigation for sexual assault. Georgia signed him anyway. When that's what you give me, I want more because you just accused the kid of something pretty serious, pretty heavy. I want more. Well, the AJC didn't give it to me. Now, I'll credit Jake Rowe, good friend of the program over at Dogs HQ, works for another company now. Uh, he actually did give me the rest of the story today. In fact, they didn't put it behind a paywall either. It's on their website for all to see. And I find myself reading that entire police report, and I find myself listening to, or in this case, reading transcripts from the accuser, 
transcripts from the player, who, by the way, is Jamal Jarrett with Georgia now. And I find myself looking at text message exchanges, and then I get to the end of it. And I watch the entire story just vaporize, and the allegation vaporize. And I ask myself, how many people actually dug this deep, including the folks who published that initial piece at the AJC? Or if they did dig that deep, and this gets even more nefarious, why was I not presented with this context? You know, Roe and the guys over at Dogs HQ, by the way, they didn't editorialize intentionally. They just put the facts out there. That's actually called investigative journalism, by the way, for those unfamiliar. They just put the facts out there and they let me read them. And then I was able to decide what happened in this particular instance. This particular instance is bad. Uh, Also, nothing that's not going to happen on about a thousand other official visits all across the country this fall. And there, there are no charges, all dismissed. That, that part's kind of let, it's kind of bare. You're not supposed to really pay attention to, you know, the sexual assault charges being dismissed. Let's, you know, let's, let's paint a picture of a guy for the rest of his life, especially it's just collateral damage and achieving an overall agenda. So I read that and I say, okay, well, that's one down. But this AJC piece is talking about a whole lot more than just that. So then we get to Adam Anderson. And Adam Anderson is going to go on trial for rape eventually. I think later this year, I believe that's when that's going to happen. I, I'm not going to do the whole thing everyone else does to try and convince you I take sexual assault seriously. I'm just going to tell you I do. Probably, probably let me run the justice system. We do more than just put you in jail if you're found guilty of that sort of thing. So, so there you go. I take it real seriously. I, I mockingly say that because it's a joke to have to watch people try and convince the public they take that stuff seriously. Uh, no one's pro-rape around here. As far as I can tell, no one in my social circle is. But uh, what I'm also not is pro, uh, let's go burn a guy at the stake before we've actually done our due diligence. So that's what's going to happen when that goes to trial, and then we'll see what comes of that. But the AJC had a problem with, um, as they kind of put it, eight Georgia football players showing up in court to defend Adam Anderson. Now, I read through the thing. Uh, Admittedly, I scanned through it, but what I took from that is the folks who wrote that piece were trying to convince me that there really was not a second thought paid to the victim. There really was not a second thought paid to the allegation. It's just, we're going to go stand up for this dude at all costs. Facts be damned. Allegations be damned. Really don't care and will even make light of sexual assault. Well, then I do a little digging. And I find out it's not as it was presented at all, actually. What they did was they went and showed up at a bond hearing uh, where they're trying to determine if you're a flight risk or not. And they were character witnesses that showed up. And that's really what's happened so far because the thing has not gone to trial. So I listen to that. And then I read that. And I decide, well, first off, what in the world is Kirby Smart going to do even if he doesn't like it? And secondly, what am I supposed to make of that? Because really the allegation overarching here is that there are massive cultural issues at Georgia. Uh, there's a culture of not taking this stuff seriously. And so, so far, and that's exactly how I'm going to phrase my thoughts on this, so far, no one's brought me anything, no one's written anything that looks to me like that's a major issue there. Now, granted, I get a little bit more access to that program even than you do, and so I've seen a little bit more even than most of you have, there will be some people who just think I may be here carrying water for the university in exchange for that access. I can tell you that's not true. I can promise you that's not true. Uh, they know that's not true. But if you want to think that, you can think that. That's fine. Here's all I would ask you. I would ask you in return, if you disagree with my assessment on things, 
I want you to tell me how you think this should be handled. I want your opinion on the facts, actual facts, you know, not the suggestive way that some have been presented, but all the context, all the facts in the room. Because what I got a lot of, and I went back and forth with some of you today on this privately, what I got a lot of was, why well, wouldn't let any of that fly around my program? What would you do? This goes back to what I started the segment with. I told you what I learn a lot through looking at some of our analytics is hardly anyone gets to the end of those videos we post. Hardly anyone. Yet a ton of folks comment on them. So what I, what I did about 15 times today, I kid you not, I went 15 for 15 on this. I asked folks who were disagreeing with me on my assessment of Georgia versus the AJC. I said, hey, what was your biggest takeaway from that AJC article? And these are 15 folks, by the way, coming at me who in some form or fashion think that Kirby Smart needs to answer for this or this or that should happen to Kirby Smart. I said, what was your biggest takeaway? And they said, oh man, they're, they're letting folks guilty of sexual assault off easy up there. I said, be specific. What is your biggest takeaway? And they beat around the bush about three or four more times because they knew what I had figured out about them. They hadn't read the AJC article because it's behind a paywall and most of my friends are cheap. They hadn't read the AJC article. They took away exactly what the folks who wrote that article wanted them to take away. And that was a headline, a screenshot, kind of a snippet, an idea, really. More so than facts, you were supposed to take an idea away from that. I'm not necessarily sure what's happening down there in my own home state, by the way, between the AJC and Georgia. It's an editorial death wish, but that's their business. I'm saying if the AJC brings facts and you look at them and they're irrefutable, indisputable, it is what it is. I'd probably be the first one to lead his show as demanding answers from the head coach at the University of Georgia. What they brought the other day, truthfully, guys, I wasn't even going to put on the show until you asked me to put it on here. Uh, what they brought the other day was, was a lot more frustrating to me than anything. And I'll tell you the other folks, their voices won't be heard. Uh, but I'll, I'll speak for them. The other folks who get extremely mad at this are people who have actually been involved in, in those kinds of allegations where it was real and parents of recruits. You want to talk to folks who get hot about this. Talk to a mom of a prospective athlete that's either on the team right now at Georgia or is going to be on the team at Georgia. Uh, they, they're the ones who look around and say, hold on a second now. If, if my kid screws up, if my kid's guilty of certain things, he deserves to be punished. I would hate it as his parent, but he deserves to be punished. Uh, that's not what scares me because I, mean, I think I raised him to know right from wrong. What scares me is what if he gets himself into a similar situation as thousands of other people do every day in this country and nothing illegal is necessarily done, maybe some poor decision making, but nothing illegal is done. And yet you got like an in-state media apparatus that sharpens their knives and comes at him. And they're really not coming at him. They're coming for the dude who leads the program for some reason. He's just kind of collateral damage. Is that where I want to send my kid? You talk to parents. Uh, I've had this experience this week. I've talked to a couple of mothers. That's, that's their sentiment. Their sentiment is, what in the world are we walking into? We think, we think that, that big capital G there, that may be the best program in the country. And Based on what they control, I would agree with them at the moment, but they don't control everything. Uh, they don't control the media in the state, which is a good thing, obviously. Uh, but in this case, it's really, it's really interesting to watch how that works. It, again, I've tried to explain it. I am from the state of Georgia. 
I mean, we subscribe to the AJC, and I there's been something that's changed in the past year and a half to two years. Now, Georgia fans would tell you, oh, they've always been out to get us. But every fan base thinks the media is out to get their team. I'm saying there is a threshold that is met where even I'll take notice of it, and that threshold has been met in the state of Georgia. So my, my, anyway, my argument back and forth respectfully with some of you today has been, okay, so you say that this should happen or that should happen. Well, what would you do? We've already established you didn't really read the article, so you're just taking away really suggestions that you were supposed to take away. What would you do, though? And I want to address this, and I'll move on. Some of you said, well, any kid who even had a whiff of those sexual assault allegations around him would be off my team. You're lying about that. You've just never been in that position before. If you were in that position, you'd have all the details. And you'd learn how muddy some of those situations are. And for a young head coach, this is where you got to be really careful. I, I still classify Kirby Smart as a young head coach. But he had a guy who was a defensive coordinator for him up until two years ago, Dan Lanning, who is a big friend of this program. Lanning goes to Oregon. He had a kid accused of something similar a few months back. And Lanning kicked him off the team. The allegations didn't stick. They were dropped. Didn't happen. And Lanning had to let him back on the team. Now, I'll ask you, what could that potentially do to your locker room? Your kids see you not wait to get the full story. And you make a move. I don't know Dan Lanning's heart. I'm saying some guys would be tempted to make a move to appease the media types and the ones out there with the torches and pitchforks, not knowing a fraction of the details. And uh, you appeased them for the moment. Here's the problem. Then the facts came out. You know what that can do to your internal culture? See, because if your internal culture is strong, and if a lot of what's being reported about you is BS, it won't take you down. But you can take you down. You can take you down when you don't have your guys back, when they've done nothing wrong. You don't have your guys back, and instead, you're willing to move a little bit too quick in some cases. These are lessons you have to learn. There is no microwave, quick, easy route to learning these lessons. That's why it's different. Call in plays. You can get there faster. You can get to an advanced level, call in plays and understanding and diagramming X's and O's faster than you ever have because technology gives you access to thousands more mental and physical reps than it ever has. But to manage people, it still largely works the same way it always has. Dealing with outside issues, it still works the same way it always has. And the consequences of success still work the same way they always have. I doubt Kirby Smart ever thought this was going to be an issue. I doubt he ever thought that out of all the things that could go wrong after they've won a couple of titles, this is how it would work. That's the way it's always going to be. When you're on top, that's the way it's always going to be. Now, let me give a little disclaimer at the end of this. Because just as I said, a lot of people didn't actually read that AJC article. A lot of people didn't listen to what I just said. So I know what we're going to deal with. I dreaded even doing this tonight because I know what we're going to deal with. There is a, a little group, a little cabal of writers out there who will take what I just did as dismissing very serious allegations and they will take it as victim blaming and they will take it as uh, me essentially, you know, if I rotated in this chair, you'd see a, a big SEC or a block G on my back. I know that's going to happen. Nothing I can do about it. And so I'll take the same advice that I would give anyone else. Make what other folks think about you, none of your business and just move on. And that's where we are. Um, so again, I reserve the right 
if they were to come out with a, a more explosive report tomorrow and all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed and it's indisputable, I'll sing the same chorus as the rest of you are right now. Uh, the, difference are, the difference is, I don't think the sheet music says what you think it says at this point in time, according to the refrain I've been listening to. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. All right, let's talk about more happy things. Please talk about more happy things. You know, actual football that we're less than 70 days away from playing. Thank you guys for being tuned in live. What ifs this fall? What if this happens? What if that happens? Some healthy hypotheticals here tonight. What if a college football playoff is made up of teams from not just Texas, not just Texas and Florida, but Texas, Florida, and California? This would be earth-shaking. This would be such a huge deal. Nice graphic, Jesse. Wow. Or maybe Bradley made this one. Colin punched it. That's all I know. So um, let's just say it's 2015. Because FSU made it in 2013 and 14. I think those were like the first two years of the playoff. However it worked. So let's go back to like 2015. What if I walked up to you and I said, friend, I've got a proposition bet for you. I'm all ears, you say. I said, between now, 2015... And 2022, only one team from those three states combined will make the college football playoff. Texas, California, and Florida. Only one team out of all of those states combined will make the playoff. How deep would you have to get down the list before you got to TCU? Because that's the only one that's done it, and it happened last year. Hadn't been USC, it hadn't been UCLA, it's not Miami, it's not Florida, it's not FSU. From that point on, it wasn't FSU. It's not Texas, it's not Texas A&M, it's TCU. So all of a sudden this year, we've got opportunities in all these states. Florida State is right up there either having or sharing the odds-on favorite title to win the ACC. We got USC flat-out favored. To win the Pac-12, we got Texas flat out favored to win the Big 12. I don't need you to come in the comment section and tell me how often Texas has been favored before and fallen flat on their face. I don't need you to tell me that because this piece of paper, courtesy of producer Jesse, tells me that six different teams have won the Big 12 since the last time Texas won it in the year of our Lord 2009. Honestly, I can't believe that's a real stat, but it is. So what would happen if this went down? Well, it would, it would turn the sport on its ear. I mean, I, any one of them, just, just Texas being in the playoff would be a huge deal. Just Southern Cal, just Florida State or Miami. I don't, I don't know how in the world Florida makes it this year, and they'll take that as me ganging up on them. I'm not, guys. You're over-unders five and a half. But uh, why not? Throw the Gators in there. 
if they're in that playoff, it's been a pretty exciting year. And also, we, we got first blood. We got we, At least we got fresh blood. In some cases, it would be first-timers there. This would be a massive deal. And then you, you younger kiddos out there would get to experience, sitting there next to dad on the couch, you get to experience something that we got to experience once upon a time. Texas under Mac Brown back then, uh, Pete Carroll's USC. Hey, man, we sat on the couch once and watched that. Once upon a Saturday, those were some dominant programs. Don't even get me started on what Florida State versus Miami used to mean. And it could again. Next up, we're going all the way to the West Coast for this one. Roland asked, what if DJ Uyangalale has a Michael Penix-like turnaround at Oregon State? Well, what is a Michael Penix-like turnaround? Some of you may have, may have had a little shaky memory from last year. Remember, Penix was at Indiana. Injury-prone, turnover-prone, and so he transfers to Washington, and approximately nobody makes a huge deal about it. And then all of a sudden, his completion percentage goes up 12 points. He's got over 4,600 yards passing last year. Threw the ball 554 times and is right in the thick of the Heisman race and resurrects Washington football. And he's back this year, by the way. He was out at Elite 11 a couple of weeks ago. We were out there watching him throw dime after dime after dime. Well, what if DJU does this? Well, I don't think that there's any world where DJ throws the ball 554 times this year. Oregon State threw the ball 323 times last year. A completion percentage, though, you get DJ up around 65%, you're probably giving Oregon State everything they need to win because they're returning a lot of really good pieces. And keep in mind, that's not a 5-7 and seven team from last year. Again, those of you with the shaky memories, Oregon State, 10 wins last year and another two losses were by a combined six points. They only got beat by double digits once. They were right there. They were right there at the end of it. If they have a former five-star number one overall quarterback in the country play up to his potential, and then they surround him with a really physical, sound football team and an extremely underrated coaching staff, they can win the Pac-12. That's the answer. They could win the Pac-12. They have currently the fifth best odds to win the Pac-12. Uh, yes, that's right. All right, third, and I will just be real with you. I'll take a sip from the chalice first. I'll be real with you. This is a what if that's taken us way out on a limb. But why not? We're going to do it for Kent. So Kent asked, what if North Carolina's defense improves to an acceptable level? With Drake May at quarterback leading the offense and Chip Lindsey, the new offensive coordinator, well, it would be really big, and they could win the ACC. That's the answer to the what if. Now, my response, Kent, who is not here to defend himself, would be, how? How's this going to happen? Uh, they allowed 28-plus nine times last year. They were last in the ACC in pass yards per game, points per game, sacks allowed, or sacks uh, recorded. They were, they were bad. They were terrible. One of the worst defenses in the country. They lost 15 kids to the portal, five corners, they lost to the portal. So, yeah, what if is a fun game. We like to keep it in the realm of believability. You know, like, what if the softball team won four in a row tomorrow night? We would be champions of Smyrna, Tennessee. That's what would happen. And JP, Angels in the outfield, you know, it could happen. We could win four games tomorrow night. North Carolina being a respectable defense this year. And if they need bulletin board material, I'm giving it to them free of charge. That's a, that's a bridge a little bit too far for me to cross. 
If you're listening on podcast and you're a Tar Heel fan, count your, count your blessings. Because if you're watching on YouTube, the harsh reality is graphically staring you in the face. And the thing about it is, you, you have Drake May at quarterback. you got a Heisman-caliber quarterback there, who, who, by the way, was their leading rusher last year, so we could stand to get a little better in the backfield. But man, if they could just be respectable. This is one of those teams where you say, could you just please be like the 45th best defense in the country? That would be enough. Again, a bridge a little bit too far to cross. Now, this one's going ri- to rile some people up. I want you to remember, I'm so nervous, I'm rolling around in my chair right now. Colin loves when I back away from the mic. I want you guys in Gainesville to remember, this is not my what if, this is Jason's what if. And he's got a blue check mark, so you better shut up and take him seriously. Jason said, what if Florida goes under five and a half wins? Dun, dun, Statistically, if you just look at the odds market, this is what their over-under win total is, five and a half. Okay, so statistically, Vegas would tell you there's just as good a chance they go under five and a half as they go over five and a half. That's kind of how the odds market works. And this number's been on the market for a while, so you would assume the value's been pounded out either way. So the, the betting market, the sharpest minds in the betting community view five and a half as an accurate indicator of what Florida's preseason win total should be. Could they win nine games? Sure, they could. But just as we entertained that last show on this show, Kent wants to know, oh, no, 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 no. What happens if the under hits? Please don't start talking to me about juice and actual percentages. Don't get that fine on the point. You understand what I'm saying. When Jesse put up the, Jesse put up the slider there, I knew what was coming in the comment section. I know what minus 150 means on the over. Quiet down, people. Let's just pay attention to the broader point. If Florida goes under five and a half wins, all rationale will have been tossed out the boxcar. It's an interesting way to phrase it, but it will. Rationale meaning there are a lot of people who are sitting here right now with us in June, late June. There are some people who are listening to me on Friday morning and you're driving down I-95, knowing how 95 moves right now, probably not very fast. And you're probably thinking to yourself, you know, okay, if Billy wins five games this year, I'm going to convince myself now that I'm going to give him a third year. I'm going to be willing to be patient. It worked with Norvell. It'll probably work with Sark in Texas this year. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be that loyal soldier that's going to wait and give him one more year. You could think that all you want to now. When you start racking up losses and you're sitting at home during bowl season, and you got folks calling for Billy Napier's job on message boards, and you got other coaches being fired, not being as bad as you were this year. You know what happens. And that's before the recruiting class starts crumbling. But that's where my mind immediately goes. Billy Napier goes five and seven. Okay. Well, terrible, but okay. What happens to this recruiting class? Because they're recruiting very well right now. And I think that's what would ultimately determine his fate. Well, that plus what the administration feels about him. They have not had three consecutive losing seasons since 1945, 1946, and 1947. So it would be historic. That's part one of the what if. Part two of the what if is they got the third ranked recruiting class in the country right now. And it'll be ranked highly no matter what happens between now and signing day, unless you go five and seven. And then we got to find out how many of those recruits stick. That would be the headline. That would be the headline around Florida football if they went 5-7 and seven or worse. Academy Sports and Outdoors. 
stocked up there just the other day myself because, well, as I said, we got a big night coming Friday. But even after that, you know, I was talking to one of my buddies who um, works in the, in the grilling world. And he was throwing around Pit Boss and Traeger and Charbroil. And while he's talking, I'm just sitting there going, got it at Academy, got it at Academy, uh, got it at Academy. Grilling is an amazing thing. I'm good at eating. A lot of you guys are good at both sides of the equation. They got all the grilling accessories up to and including the grill itself at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And if you're new around here, you may be thinking, Academy Sports and Outdoors, what are they doing selling grills? Exactly. You were wrong about them. Walk in the store before you judge. They got all the sporting goods equipment, but man, do they have so much more. And they've got a website that's very easy to use too. I know because I did earlier this week or late last week, academy.com. And so if you're headed to the great outdoors, and I would encourage you to just be mindful of that uh, pollution index if you're on the East Coast right now, just head to Academy first. Do all your stuff. Head to Academy first and also know that while you're doing it, if you enjoy anything about this show, you are patronizing the sponsor that makes this show free of charge to you. Now, I don't know how many of you would stick around if you had to pay five or six bucks a month for this. I probably wouldn't, uh, but you don't have to because Academy does it for you. So thank you so much to them. Academy.com for all your outdoor sporting goods needs and then some. I did it again today. I can't help myself. I was, was talking to our buddies at College Football Nerds this morning via text, and they, uh, they were asking me how we get so much engagement on Twitter. I'm just airing out dirty laundry right now, but I don't care. It's my constitutional right, after all. And I said to them, what do you mean? I said, well, your tweets aren't even that good. Then they gave an example. What do you think about Jimbo Fisher? What do you think about Dabo Swinney? And it dawned on me. We got a show tonight, and I haven't asked you guys your opinion on anything. So I typed, hold please, and I went and tweeted out, what is your opinion of Jim Harbaugh? And boy, did we get some responses. So there goes that engagement rate again. Colin, here's a good endpoint for you. What's your opinion of Jim Harbaugh? You know the head coach at Michigan. You know the one that a few years ago had been left for dead by most of the college football public and some, some of the Michigan fan base as the guy who had got him to a good enough spot but was never going to get Michigan over the hump. Those three words, I cannot tell you. Over under is in the thousands on the amount of times I heard that phrase applied to that man. And then all of a sudden, things started to change. I asked you guys on Twitter today, what is your opinion of Jim Harbaugh? You know, every, everybody pretty much called him quirky, eccentric, a little strange, oddball, goofy. Doesn't matter. He won't see any of it anyway. I, I would ask you this to start off our little little talk here about Jim Harbaugh. How do you not respect someone who really intentionally and uncaringly marches to the beat of their own drum? There aren't many of us out there. You heard me say us, right? I mean, look, what you see is what you get here. I think you're pretty sure of that by now. But with Jim Harbaugh, you can also be sure what you see is what you get. I guess... I don't, I don't think it's a me thing. I think it should be an every person thing. How do you not appreciate it? It doesn't have to appeal to you. You don't have to identify with him. Most people don't identify with Jim Harbaugh. But how do you not look at that guy? Even if you're an Ohio State fan, you can hate the team. But how do you not look on the surface and say, hey, that guy knows who he is and knows who he isn't 
and is one and doesn't pretend to be the other. I have always noticed, and I still noticed it today, a lot of folks who were taking little shots at Harbaugh, which is fine. I did ask your opinion after all. I've noticed that some people, when a coach is robotic and a coach just engages in what they call coach speak, just mindless amounts of cliches here and cliches there. They go, boo, no, be real, be authentic. And then you got a guy like Harbo who comes along who is nothing if not authentic. And they're like, boo, weirdo, boo. Come on now, let's make our minds up. Do we want authenticity or do we want a, do we want a robot? Do we want AI Harbaugh? Do we want the real Harbaugh? You remember when it wasn't going so good for Michigan? I know you guys up there do. Remember when it wasn't going so good for Michigan? I do. I've got a buddy. He is very real. He's a very hardcore Michigan fan. And he very much said, it's time to move on. Jimothy, James, Jim, it's time to move on. He's glad he was not listened to. I know a lot of you are the same way. Some of you are man enough to admit that you once sold your Jim Harbaugh stock. I like that Miami Heat Finals game. One where Ray Allen hit the late three. Believe it or not, I was there too. Yes, I've been to multiple NBA Finals games in Miami. And I remember, I remember a lot of you left. And then all of a sudden, there's that famous footage of everyone trying to run back into the arena. And they didn't let you in, did they? Well, Michigan's letting you back in. A lot of you bailed on Harbaugh and they're letting you back in. But it's not, it's not hard to see why people were bailing, especially after the COVID year. They went two and four. It was weird. It was weird. Uh, and then everyone said, we're never going to beat Ohio State with this guy. This is just not going to happen. In fact, that's the year where Michigan was accused of running from Ohio State. They canceled the game. They didn't even play the game. I thought you guys had a half-decent point, by the way, when you accused them of that. And then, where are we the next year? We're up there in the snow in Ann Arbor, and Michigan finally comes through they finally take Ohio State down, but boy, when we were in Columbus, Ohio a year later, man, atonement is at hand this afternoon. Weather forecasts look bad. All of a sudden, it's the 50s. It's sunny. Nothing's going to slow Ohio State down. Yeah, it happened again. And all of a sudden, Jim Harbaugh, the dude who couldn't get over the hump, turns Ohio State into a speed bump, and they go to the playoff back-to-back -back years. Haven't done anything more than that but they got two Big Ten championships and two wins over Ohio State in their back pocket, respectively. And now, it's like the toast of the Big Ten. And so, we bring our alien. We, we consort with our alien friend from time to time. He comes down from outer space, and we say, Alien, got a little scenario to bounce off of you. And he clicks around, as aliens do. And we paint the picture of the Jim Harbaugh story arc and the coaching arc. You know what that alien would ask? He would ask, which loosely translates in English to, well, what changed? I have no idea, is my answer to the alien. And that's the point with Harbaugh. Everyone who was making fun of him and everyone who doesn't like the quirks or idiosyncrasies, pretty sure it's the first time I've ever used that word on the show, even they have to marvel at the fact that this guy turned it around and at least on the outside, there was no massive lever that was pulled. There was no... There was no break glass in case of emergency red button that was hit. They didn't pull out the nuclear codes and just go DEFCON 14 up there. They just kept doing what Michigan does. And it's wild in concept because most people don't think that works. Most people think, all right, let's try something. And if it doesn't immediately work, 
Torch the barn, kill the rats, start over. Harbaugh did none of that. He had confidence that his approach would work, and it didn't initially work, and he stuck with it, and it works. And then, so the alien starts to load back up, and I say, hold on, here's some Reese's pieces. Come back out here. I got more. He interviewed for NFL jobs during the process. What? The alien says, and I say, yeah, so get this. He was actually interviewing with the Vikings on National Signing Day. National Signing Day is where all the recruits sign. I don't know how they do it where you're from. And so, uh, you know, I still find that totally dumbfounding. That That's the way that all went down. It looks like he's out the door, so much so that he interviews for the job on National Signing Day, doesn't get the job, comes right back, and a reasonable mind could look at it because both of his coordinators are gone. A reasonable mind could look and say, uh-oh, yeah, Harbaugh's back, but is he really back? Because his heart was already in the NFL. His mind was already in the NFL. And now all of a sudden he doesn't get the job and he's back. What's Michigan going to look like? Oh, better than they did the year before. That's not easy. It's not easy if you're bought in. It's not easy if everything is running at peak efficiency. It's hard to win at this level. He went and interviewed for a job on signing day and still won and, and operated at a higher level that they, than they did the year before. So then here's the fun part to figure out. Fun part, and the one that no one really has a guided hand in knowing, is, well, what is the next five years going to look like? Is he going to interview for NFL jobs every year? Is he going to stick it out at Michigan? Are they just going to continue to roll over Ohio State? Will Ohio State go up there this year, reclaim the Big Ten, and have us a few years from now look back and say, remember that two-year blip on the radar screen? But then Michigan sort of relegated themselves back to what they had been. No one knows. I don't think that's how it's going to go. The latter one. I don't think that's how it's going to go. Because they're recruiting really, really well. They're portaling really well. Developmentally, they're about as good as anyone in the country right now. So it's a fun program to watch. Jim Harbaugh is a fun guy to watch. I I was doing talk radio down in Columbus when the whole satellite camp thing started. You remember that? Some of you may not even pay, have paid enough attention to remember that. That was the thing where the NCAA briefly let you do satellite camps, and Michigan took full advantage. So Michigan comes down to Prattville, Alabama, home of the Lions, and Harbaugh has a satellite camp down there, and Saban and the SEC coaches hated it. And you know Harbaugh says, why don't you go hold a satellite camp in Michigan? <laughs> the answer was obvious. You don't even want to recruit Michigan. Why would we want to recruit Michigan? So Harbaugh comes down to Prattville and is running around in khakis with no shirt on. And it was like, it, it was like when the, it's like on those YouTube videos sometimes when animals confuse themselves and like one animal nurses another animal that's of a different species and it's just so wild and it's bizarre, but it's beautiful. That shirtless Harbaugh running around in khakis with a bunch of kids from the inner city over in Prattville. It was wild. It was bizarre. It was beautiful. I regret that Colin doesn't have B-roll of it, but another way I'm kind of glad he didn't just have that at his disposal. I'd start to ask questions. Jim Harbaugh, what a story already. You could just tell the story from the time he got to Michigan to now, and it would be a good story. Thing about it, though, is 
you know one way or the other there's some really juicy chapters left in the Jim Harbaugh Michigan story. So I'm here for it. If nothing else, I'm here for it. They're watching us in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, Ringgold, Georgia, Rosemont, Illinois, former home of the Rosemont Horizon, now known as Allstate Arena, unless they change it again. Bold prediction time. Another sip from the chalice, please. Jesse, is this chapter 13? Yes, chapter 13. All right, good for us. Uh, do, me a, do me a quick favor. You know what? Now that we're in the show a little bit, I never like to sound beggy. I never like to plead at the beginning of the show, but our diehards are tuned in now. We're, we're, we're doing good. Okay, I don't want to chastise. We're doing good on our drive for 200,000 subs. The thing about it, though, is we have a little extrapolation tool. And so I can see, based on the, based on the rate we're going, when we would hit 200,000 subs. It is not going to happen at the current rate before kickoff of the season. But yet, I think we can make it happen before kickoff of the season. We just have to do some good old-fashioned recruiting. And that means when you go to work tomorrow, tell your three buddies who you know to not have subscribed to the show yet to subscribe to the channel. That's it. That's all. And you can go ahead and like the video while you're at it, since you're already in the giving mood. Bold Predictions Chapter 13. What do you believe out there? What's your boldest prediction for this upcoming college football season? Well, we've got some boldness tonight here in the comments. Let's start in the ACC. Daniel from Tampa said Miami's going to win the ACC and they're going to finish with 10 wins or more. This is an 8.5 on the boldness scale for me. Their over-under win total is 7.5, so they'd need to go way over. They've got the fifth best odds to win the ACC. So they'd need to not pull off a miracle, but they'd need to pull off some upsets. And here's the thing about it. Miami's got the fifth best odds. Producer Jesse, a.k.a. Stats and Info, dutifully tells me Miami also plays the four teams in front of them in the odds. So there are no scheduling breaks for the Canes this year. And they also have three games against the college football playoff top 12 because those odds are out too. Uh, we were down there last month. Spoke with Lance Guidry a little bit. That's the new defensive coordinator. And I was, in the, I was in the snack room when we were talking to him, so I only halfway paid attention to what he said. But Shannon Dawson, the new offensive coordinator, we hung out with him. There's a whole feature on the channel. We've never done anything like that before. If you're a Miami fan and you didn't see it, just search late kick Shannon Dawson. I mean, we went in the film room with him. He broke down his offense. It's like 35, 40 minutes. It was really good. We left an hour on the cutting room floor. If I can ever play that for you now, that, that'd be good. We'd probably have to put that behind a paywall, but that'd be good stuff. Both of those dudes, backwoods, Louisianans, really good dudes. All of a sudden, they're in Miami. It's a great mixture. Great culture clash slash mixture. If he's the right guy for Tyler Van Dyke, they can do this. They've got the number 12 overall roster in the blue chip ratio for this season. They've got the players down there. They're rapidly infusing that roster with even better players than that. But as for now, given the schedule, I'm going to have to call that an eight and a half on the boldness scale. Next up, this would throw the sport in a blender if this were to happen. So Alex from Palmerton, Pennsylvania, predicted three out of five current Power Five conference favorites won't even play for their conference titles. So sometimes when we get these kind of predictions, you're left to wonder, okay, how wild would that be? Not too wild. It happened last year. So last year, we came in the season 
and Ohio State was favored to win the Big Ten. They didn't even play for the conference title. Same with Texas. There's that Texas name again. And same with Alabama. So sure enough, three out of the five last year missed out. So this year, who do we have? We got Clemson favored, barely, to win the ACC. We got Texas favored to win the Big 12. You got Ohio State. Yeah, that's changed, by the way. Ohio State is a narrow favorite to win the Big 10. Texas, as I said, in the Big 12, again. And USC. Small favorite, but a favorite out west. I don't think this is all that bold. I called it a 6.75. Because we could have chaos. Here's how easy it would be. The Pac-12, anyone's ball game. There are half a dozen teams at the top that could take that thing. And so uh, USC not playing for the conference title. I haven't even picked anyone yet. Uh, but you know, if I pick today, I'd probably have them playing for the conference title game. But if you told me they weren't there, I'd go, oh, that would be about how surprised I was. Uh, you could have Texas miss out because they haven't been there in seven years. That wouldn't be a shock to anyone. Even though I may pick them, we know what the model thinks about Texas. Uh, you, you got the Pac-12 being wild. You got the ACC. I mean, if Clemson, for example, is um, not what we think they could possibly be offensively, it's that easy. Like, you know the disaster scenario we talked about the other day. Clemson opens with who, kids? Duke. Oh, Duke. That's an easy dub. Well, they're only favored by 12. Because of those very questions, new offensive coordinator, not a new quarterback necessarily. We've seen Klubnik play. We just don't know what level he's going to be at this year necessarily. So there's a lot that could go wrong with these favorites. That's why they're narrow favorites. Don't even get me started about what happens if Georgia goes and loses to Tennessee. You don't think Tennessee can pull those upsets. I invite you to rewatch the Alabama game last year. But I'm calling it a 6.75. I don't think that's that bold. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Uh, the next one's a little bit bolder. Not Colorado. We're going to go to the Palmetto State. Xavier, or Xavier, depending on pronunciation said South Carolina will win nine games this year. They will beat Clemson again for the second year in a row. How bold would that be? Well, let's start with the upset. Wouldn't be a huge upset. Carolina plays them at home, and they're favored by six and a half. The Clemson Tigers are favored by six and a half. So South Carolina, about a touchdown underdog as it stands now against their in-state rival. We've seen that happen. We see that happen every Saturday. Clemson or South Carolina winning nine games, obviously that upset would go a long way in helping that happen. But their win total is six right now. So again, we'd have to fly way over, and Shane Beamer has done that two years in a row so far. He's gone over the total. Beamer's gone seven and six. He's gone eight and five. They have got four games, do the Gamecocks, against the college football playoff preseason 
top 12 in terms of odds. So they got to pull some upsets. There's, there's never an easy South Carolina schedule. Even their out-of-conference has them playing teams like Jacksonville State. Uh, they got North Carolina, one of the top four odds teams in another conference to start the year. That's a neutral site game, which we just love around here. This is an 8.75 for me. Dowell Logans is the new offensive coordinator. And I say that because Spencer Rattler's back at quarterback and every preview magazine is going to rightfully ask you, which Spencer, or which Spencer Rattler are we going to see? And uh, they're asking that because there were times last year it was really bumpy. And then all of a sudden you hang half a 120 on Tennessee after you... You know what? That was a really boggled sentence already, so it's only started over. Do you realize, because I think a lot of people have forgotten about this, probably the wildest two-week stretch anywhere in the 2022 season was South Carolina scoring zero offensive points against Florida and then hanging 63 or 62, whatever it was, the next week against Tennessee. That kept Tennessee out of the playoff. Can you imagine how stunned Tennessee must have been. Watch that team on film, and then all of a sudden they drop 60-plus on you the next week, and then you come to find out, oh, there was a little shakeup in the play-calling structure and the offensive structure behind the scenes. Well, then all of a sudden you got folks asking, well, which Spencer Rattler are we going to get this year? Well, probably not the one that you saw struggle throughout the majority of 2022 because the coordinator who was there is now in Lincoln, Nebraska an interesting and polarizing hire in his own, right? And they brought in Dewa Logans, who is now the offensive coordinator at South Carolina. It's kind of like Shannon Dawson down there at Miami. You got an established quarterback. You're linking him up with a new coordinator. Let's see how it works out. Those are always spotlight teams for us. Last here in the bold prediction train this evening, we go back to the West Coast. Caleb Williams is your Heisman Trophy winner for last year. Trevor wants to know, well, he's actually predicting, that Caleb Williams is going to win the Heisman. He joins Archie Griffin as the only two-time winner. Trevor from Nashville by way of Columbus, Ohio. Archie Griffin won those things in 74 and 75. So Caleb Williams, what would he have to do? Well, last year he was a 42-5 to touchdown to interception guy. He had 10 rushing touchdowns. Who's the competition? We were looking at the odds market today, and I was a I was a little surprised. I don't want to disrespect anyone. There's some names that are a little high on this list for me. Uh, Michael Penix is up there. He's like seventh. Quinn Ewers has the next best odds, along with Jaden Daniels at LSU. Those two have the next best odds behind Williams. And then it's J.J. McCarthy at fourth. Jordan Travis at fifth. I wouldn't have either of them in a top five Heisman list. And by the way, that has nothing to do with Michigan and FSU. To me, this is just me talking. If you tell me Michigan's going undefeated, FSU's going undefeated, I think about the style of offense, the style of play, the kind of numbers they would put up conducive to playing that kind of ball all year. I don't think it involves Heisman numbers. I say the same thing about Daniels at LSU. I don't, Dan, Daniels at LSU, a little more likely because you can question their ground game a little bit more than the other two. But my point remains like, I'd much rather. Give me some Bo Nix. Give me some Michael Penix. Give me, some, give me a ticket or two on them over some of these guys. Anyway, it's not a hate fest. It sounds like one. Caleb Williams is by far the favorite here. And Lincoln Riley has coached three of the last six Heisman winners. That's never been done. They've played the sport since the 1300s. That's never been done. 
So this is this is an eight on the boldness scale only because it's just it's done it's been done one time in history winning back to back Heisman's. So it should be like a nine point five by default. So me only having this at an eight shows you how confident I am in Caleb Williams because he's pretty good. He was also at elite eleven. And he also did some incredible things throwing the football against air. You know what time it is? It's time for us to spotlight Texas. That's what time it is. The model loves Texas here. If you're new to the show, we have the model that runs our own independent numbers. The model, I don't think it picked Texas not to cover a single time last year. The model was just loving Texas. And so this year, Colin, I would prefer for this to be your end point. What do you need to know about Texas? I mean, I'm going to give it to you straight in about three or four minutes. Biggest questions. What's the strongest position group? Who's going to break out here? What's the schedule say? This is a little preview magazine page on Texas. First question, who's right about Quinn Ewers? You got Camp A out there. says, overrated, recruiting bust. Yeah, he's good, but he's never going to be great. And then you got the other camp that says, just wait till this year. Got all the tools was banged up last year. Even when he played, he wasn't 100%. So wait until this year. He was 58% last year. Wait until this year. I'm, I'm happy to wait until this year. I think he's going to be a standout quarterback this year. And he cut his hair. I mean, look, when in doubt, when guys cut their hair, that means they're serious. That means they mean business. And we don't even have an updated picture of him yet. That's how fresh that cut is. You know, Quinn Ewers is not outspoken. I think I, I would love for us to go out to Austin and sit down with him for about eh, 10, 15 minutes, long enough for you to see his persona is so warped compared to who he is. He is shy, down to earth, not necessarily the guy that's portrayed, uh, which has nothing to do with how he throws a football, obviously, but... I think he's going to be a standout player this year. Now, will it be enough for them to win the Big 12, you know, make the playoff, et cetera? Well, that's what this question is about. That's why it's a question. That's number one. Number two, is their pass defense going to improve? And if it does, by how much? Because last year, one of the most shocking stats in all of college football was Texas had a top, a top what, Jesse? They had a top 30 defense last year. Good catch, by the way, because I was about to get drug in the comments. Texas had a top 30 defense last year in terms of points per game. You don't think about that. You don't think of Texas as having a good defense. Uh, well, it got drugged down because they had the 91st ranked pass defense last year. What could they be if we just cut that in half? We improved 20, 30%. Well, the answer is, again, they could be a conference champ. They could be a playoff team. Question number three with Texas is, how should I, how should I ask this? Was it always going to be 2023? You know, when Sark came in in year one, we saw what happened. And then they go to year two, and they had several games improvement. But since they were the preseason favorite to win the conference, and they didn't, people still said, oh, he's underachieving. Well, there is this world where it was just always going to take till the third year for them to click. It's happened before, you know, kind of happening at Florida State. Maybe it was just always going to be 2023. And maybe this year is the year where all of your stats that are more historical in nature are rendered moot. Because the age-old adage on this show actually is what comes to fruition, and that is just because something has not happened does not mean it cannot happen. 
I cannot believe the stat I gave you earlier in the show that six different teams have won the Big 12 since the last time Texas won it. That is inexcusable underachievement from one of the premier brands in the country. The best position group on this team, you could say quarterback, but that's easy. So we're going to say wide receiver. Xavier Worthy is Xavier Worthy is my dark horse to be a Heisman Trophy contender this year. So that's how highly I think of him. We're going to fix the drops, he and I, and we are going to, uh, we're going to do big things in Austin this year. But if it's not him, they got A.D. Mitchell, number one wide receiver in the portal. It doesn't matter which national championship run you've watched for Georgia. He's been a central figure in it both years. Jordan Whittington's still there, uh, celebrating his 35th birthday later this year, it feels like. Isaiah Nair, who came in from Wyoming and got hurt last year. Jesse had to fist fight me today because I wanted to make Nair the breakout player, but they're just, Jonte Cook is just there, five-star receiver. So they're loaded in that receiver room. I, I still got an eye on, I still got an eye on Nair, but there's so many different weapons in that room that can hurt you. So they should be very explosive this year. The breakout player, we're not going with Nair. We're going with Kelvin Banks. When I was out there for the Bama game last year, which was week two, Kelvin Banks was a true freshman. So he started at left tackle as a true freshman for him last year. I was talking to some of their staffers about their incoming freshman class. And they said, some of the guys we recruited, we think they're going to end up being studs, but they're, they're true freshmen, you know, got to give them time. Other guys, ah, we, we don't know. We, we feel good about our evaluation, but they haven't exactly broken out in camp. Then they told me about Kelvin Banks. They said, it took about 20 seconds. It's the old 20-second rule. The ones that are true next-level future first-rounders, it doesn't matter if they're 18 years old. When they walk on campus, when they walk in the position group, when they step on the practice field, they're instantly one of the best players on your team. Kelvin Banks, as a true freshman, offensive tackle no less, was the best lineman they had the moment he stepped on campus out of high school and he's still the best one they have. The difference is because this year is his second year. I think he'll be a breakout player nationally. He was second team all Big 12 as a true freshman. Uh, He's got two more years of college football to play, so enjoy him out there. The schedule is very interesting for Texas. Uh, They play Bama at Bama in week two. Who do they have in week one, Josh? Food. But they play Bama in week two, and then it gets a little dicey. I've got friends in the SEC all four corners of it, who would lead you to believe the Big 12 is soft? Believe whatever you want to believe. I'm telling you, I respect the competition in that conference. And Texas, outside of playing Bama, they go in conference and they're the favorite to win. They play number two, number three, number four, number five, and number six. As opposed to Oklahoma, who draws six of the bottom seven teams in terms of odds. What does that mean? Maybe something, maybe nothing. But it does put an emphasis, even more so than just usual, on that Red River game, doesn't it? I don't have to tell them. They don't need the added motivation. I'm saying if you're, if you're getting yourself to the betting window and purchasing a ticket on one of these teams, that schedule is something to keep in mind. The last four games, they go Kansas State, at TCU, at Iowa State, go clones, and Texas Tech at home. You can... You can tell me all you want about how that's a soft end to the season. It's not. It is not. Back-to-back roadies in November 
never easy. Going to Ames, Iowa, the third week of November, not ideal. And then you got Texas Tech to end the season, not ideal. So if Texas gets there, and they should be favored, I believe, they're going to have to earn it. It will not be handed to them. You will not look at Texas if they're in the playoff and say, ah, yeah, soft schedule, though. Just load it up on cream puffs. Nope, not going to happen. That's a look at Texas. I want to look briefly at a lot of you because we have a big audience. So inevitably, someone in our audience is about to move this weekend. Thank you, by the way, for scheduling your move or your wedding or maybe both in June or July instead of during October and making all of us suffer because we're going to have to help you move and we're going to have to be in your wedding. Or are we going to have to help you move? Now, the wedding I can do nothing about. But our friends at Good Greek Moving and Storage can help with the first issue in your life. I've been asked probably, uh, I'd say a million and two million, one to two million times because I grew up with a pickup truck. Hey, you free Saturday? Why? Well, I'm moving. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'd love to take my Saturday and help you. It's the curse of the pickup. Well, with Good Greek Moving and Storage, you don't need my pickup. Because they got trucks way bigger, way more spacious. They're more dependable. If I'm being real with you, they're more dependable than me. And they're going to fully insure your move. I'm not fully insuring you. I'm barely insured. How can I insure you? So I'm saying all that to say, don't call me up. Don't call your buddy with a pickup. Even if you have a hookup with a guy who has a pickup, get up good Greek instead. You know why I'm touting them so fervently? Because we were in need, and in our hour of need down in South Florida a couple of weeks ago, they came through. And I, I told them, you, you helped us today. I'm going to help you for the rest of June. And that's why we've done that on this show for the rest of June. So Good Greek Moving and Storage, T-R-U-S-T. They got the trust factor with us, and they can have it with you too. The last thing I wanted to talk about on the show tonight is... Let me take a sip from the chalice. I always, I always struggle with how to frame our conversations about this certain team. Uh, because it, we, we've got a, an audience that ranges from like 15 to 85. And depending on how old you are, will determine how you feel about this brand. So let me hit you with this. So Brent hit us up and he said, hey, Matt Rule has been rolling in recruiting. He's got a good portal class too. Is Nebraska able to make a year one leap, or should we just be cautiously optimistic about this year and excited about the future? So how serious should you be taking Nebraska? Let me be blunt with you, because I'm not a Nebraska fan, so I can afford to feel this way. I don't care about this year. If they do come through this year, that'll be wonderful. I'll celebrate it right along with you guys, but I'm not putting any eggs in the 2023 basket. I'm paying attention to what's happening well beyond 2023. Because whether they go over or under six wins this fall, I've watched Matt Rule take over programs before, and they've been terrible multiple times in year one and gone on to have quantum leaps in year two and year three. So it wouldn't send up any red flags or sound any alarm bells for me if they went four and eight this year for all I care. But I think they'll be a little bit better than that because of what you just talked about. They portaled very well and very strategically, and I'll talk about that in a second. But man, I'm glad Matt rules in college football. I know it's not, it's not great to, to wish ill on any guy professionally. And I wasn't rooting for him to be fired at Carolina, but he was fired anyway. But then we got a college guy back in college. I'm happy about that. Well, I don't cover the Sunday game. I cover the Saturday game. 
He put some immediate adrenaline into Nebraska football through recruiting and through the transfer portal. Colin, do we have the Ben Stevens tweet, by the way? Just to give you guys an idea of what's been going on up there. Uh, This is from Ben Stevens. Five of the six highest rated 2024 recruits in the state of Nebraska have now committed to the Huskers. Matt Rule getting to work quick. And they're projected to go six for six here. So let's just keep an eye on that. Uh, Carter Nelson is a two, well, he's the number two tight end in the country. High four-star kid, top 40 overall. Chose Nebraska over Georgia, Notre Dame, Penn State, Bama, 6'4", 205. Everyone wanted him. So this is not exclusively just a bunch of kids in Nebraska that had offers from Nebraska and no one else. That's not, that's not necessarily what's happening right now. That's why they've got the 13th ranked recruiting class in the country and not the 43rd ranked recruiting class in the country. But you know what else they did? If you want to talk about 2023, they got Jeff Sims out of the portal. I don't, I don't rank our guys in the transfer portal here. We got an entire committee that does that. But I got to take a little issue with Jeff Sims being no higher than the 11th rated quarterback in the 24-7 sports transfer portal quarterback rankings. I'll, I'll make you a friendly wager. I don't think there'll be 10 better than him this year from the portal. And he's been dropped into a tailor-made offensive system, I think, and some coaches think. And I am very excited to watch him get paired up with some of the guys elsewhere on that offense they brought in out of the portal. think it's a great fit. I think that he's underappreciated because it didn't work out at Georgia Tech. To keep those peepers glued on Jeff Sims. Could be a really, really instrumental player in deciding the direction of the Big Ten West this year. But Scott Frost, when he was at Nebraska, the thing I remember, I still remember the day he got fired, uh, whenever our next show was, I came on air after Scott Frost got fired. I I remember this vividly because I don't normally like to take shots at guys unnecessarily. But when Scott Frost got fired at Nebraska, my mind kept coming back to the same thing. And that is when people would ask, what went wrong? I answered with this. There was no point in Scott Frost's tenure there where if you ask me what is Nebraska football right now, I could give you a quick answer. And that's bad because that means you didn't have an identity. You will not have that issue with Matt Rule. You will know what Nebraska football is like and you'll know it quick under Matt Rule. That doesn't mean it's an overnight turnaround. That doesn't mean you guarantee eight or nine or ten wins this year. But it would shock me if he didn't massively turn around the fortunes of that program. And the reason that's exciting is because, you know, you've got that debate that goes on amongst hardcore college football fans about whether the sport has passed certain programs by. And they say it about Miami, and I think it's ludicrous. They just hadn't had the right coaching staff down there. But Miami can still be a perennial powerhouse, is my point. Can Nebraska be that? They were once upon a time. Could they be that again? Like, this team won three titles in the 90s. You hear me out there, college freshman? Yeah, the University of Nebraska, three national championships in a decade. Some of us were alive then, is the point. It's not that long ago. And, uh, but there are people who would say, okay, but the recruiting dynamic, there's been such a paradigm shift. Nebraska's never doing that again. I'm in that camp. That doesn't mean I couldn't be wrong. I'm in that camp. I don't ever think Nebraska could just perennially be parked inside the top three of the sport. But whatever their ceiling is, you will find it out. So that's the fun part. For people like me, 
you're going to find out whether I'm right or wrong. Even if I am right, let's see. They're let's say they're capable of being a top ten program. They hadn't been close to that either. What if they are capable of hovering as the ninth best program in the country? If they are, they'll do it under Matt Rule. Is my point. And so I don't have much doubt about that. Now I'm the same guy who thought Scott Frost would work out there as well. But when you do the um, when you do the postmortem on Scott Frost and you realized where they lacked, and then you cross-reference it with what Matt Rule's strengths are, you realize those buckets they needed to fill, they filled and then overflowed a little bit with the guy they just hired. So Matt Rule, Nebraska, very happy that he's back in the college football building. We're going to be back here Sunday night. We will have a brand new addition to the set. I. I may leak the news. That's how excited I am about the new edition on the set. So it's going to be a much bigger deal to me than it is to any of you. Don't rearrange your plans this weekend and start a little countdown clock on your iPhone. I'm just saying it's going to look so great once it's out here. And so you got that to look forward to. And also, remember, subscribe to the channel so that we can achieve our grand wish of 200K subs by kickoff. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care, have a great rest of your evening, and God bless. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.